You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 47. This episode's topic is partnership, law enforcement, and church leaders. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, I'm pleased to be back with you and for this episode to have two guests with us on this episode who both have studied the issues, have been voices, and have made a difference in ending human trafficking already. And uh, I'm just excited to hear about their wisdom and their uh, their guidance for how partnerships can work effectively, in this case, particularly between law enforcement and church leaders. I'm excited about our guest today. I feel like um, it's really important for us to figure out how to do really good community engagement, effective community engagement. But that doesn't happen in fighting human trafficking unless we understand our roles and partnership according to our um, our four P's now, we've talked about this before, is based on resources and expertise. So I've invited two of my friends, um, Zolly Smith, Reverend Zolly Smith is the director of U.S. Missions for the General Council of the Assemblies of God, and my friend, Lieutenant Derek Marsh, who is the founding law enforcement officer of our Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force that you often hear me talk about. So, um, gentlemen, say hello to each other. Well, hello, Derek. How you doing? Good, sir. Yourself? I'm doing fine. Thank you. And Sandy, thank you for having us. Well, I'm just excited to listen in on this conversation more than anything. Um, You both represent huge constituencies that are concerned about human trafficking right here in our own country. And learning how to leverage our collaboration is going to be important to actually winning the battle. So the question I have for each of you, and I'll let you decide who wants to go first, is what are the key ingredients to an effective partnership between church leaders and law enforcement? Reverend, I'm going to defer to you if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, I figured you would do that. That's the kind of guy I am. I'm honored. I'm honored, Lieutenant. Uh, I I think that's a very, very good question, Sandy. And I understand that clearly that we live in a diverse society. We live in a society that dictates and in many cases mandates that many different groups organizations work together in harmony for the good of the people and that the quality of life that we certainly would like for everyone to share and have. It is essential that the church, the faith-based community of our society understands the importance of law enforcement in our society. And I think that the commonality is, is that we all are concerned about the safety the protection, the welfare, and the quality of life and justice for everyone, which is so defined in our Declaration of Independence. And so when we look at the well-being of human beings, 
That is the commonality that brings us together. It's people. We care about people. We care about the quality of the life that they live. And everybody deserves to live in America with freedom and those liberties that are essential to have and to bring about happiness. And so that can only be achieved in a democracy where people, unfortunately, violate those rights, violate those laws, and as a result, people do suffer. Consequences are great, and people are victimized. And therefore, I can find no other way than to work with our law enforcement departments, agencies, be they federal, state, or local, and happen to address the needs in behalf or on behalf of the people. Reverend, I couldn't agree with you more. I have, to, I have to agree that when you said the well-being of people brings us together, and that's really what we're all about. And while law enforcement isn't a typical partner with the faith-based community, we have a tendency to believe ourselves you know, more focused on getting bad guys and putting them in jail. I think the human trafficking dynamic, the human trafficking focus, being so victim-centered and working towards helping victims before even the priority of arresting people, though it's hard to swallow for us sometimes in the law enforcement community, dictates and mandates that we go out and we find viable partners to work with. And the faith-based community provides a lot of bonuses for law enforcement when it comes to supporting and helping and advocating for our victims. You, you, we need to we need to understand that from day one. Law enforcement's trained to go out and to put people in jail and do search warrants and write reports and prosecute help prosecute and make sure people are held accountable for you know violating our laws and violating the sanctity of people and you know victimizing others. But we aren't so good because we haven't been really trained in it. And it's not our focus in supporting our victims, providing foodie food, clothing, shelter services, transportation, language skills, learning, societal reorientation. Those aren't things that are on our plate of things that we're experts at or really know how well to do. And I can tell you that a lot of those things, faith-based community efforts really help in supplementing. And they take, in addition to that, besides, you know, the, the general day-to-day living concerns of a victim, there's also that spiritual component. And again, law enforcement is really focused on that on a day-to-day world when you're dealing with suspects and putting people in jail or just responding to a regular car accident or things like that. But when it comes to the victim center approach and human trafficking, these people have been spiritually diminished. They've been marginalized and it it takes a faith-based community to bring someone back up and to remind them and to reinvigorate that spiritual awareness. And law enforcement really isn't in that place, but it's something that the faith-based community is excellent at providing as essential, I would think, and I, I would say for any victim who's been the, you know, the victim of any kind of human trafficking or exploitation. Well, I certainly agree with you, Lieutenant. I mean, the fact, and I guess I've, I had a, have an advantage in the sense that I was in law enforcement, both in the, on the local level and on the federal level, and served for 12 years and, and really appreciate and love the law enforcement part of our society. And now on the spiritual side of it, from the church's perspective, I think you nailed it on the head, is that the needs of victims, especially dealing with this human trafficking issue, expands beyond just one organization or association. 
it's big enough that everyone who really believes that it's our obligation and duty to come to the aid of those who've been victimized by these heinous crimes, that we must understand that collaboration and networking is essential. I mean, from the fake of the resources and the expertise that you bring, the expertise of understanding what it means to rescue a victim, uh, to investigate the crimes that are reported. The average church-going person or pastor has no idea of what that entails. However, when it comes to the component of caring for them and finding shelter and counseling and nurturing, from a holistic perspective, the church can come to that aid and we can work together and looking at, again, the individuals and trying to make them whole and complete to bring about self-worth that has been stolen from them through these types of crimes that take place. And so I think that surely when we look at the holistic approach, we cannot push anyone aside, but we need everyone at the table. And I think that when you you know you look at the 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 four P's that we talked about of human trafficking, and you talk about prevention, and you talk about protection and prosecution and and partnership, I think that without question, not one agency can do it alone. And when we work together and take advantage of the resources and the expertise that each of the agencies or the groups come together bring. We can overcome this uh, this devastation of inhumanity against humanity, and so law enforcement and the church make a great team if we can appreciate and respect the role that each plays in this in- endeavor. Uh, Reverend, I couldn't agree more. The, especially when you spoke, and Sandy spoke about this a little bit earlier too, about uh, clarifying our roles. I think a lot of the hesitation law enforcement may have is that it, it's hard to say, see where uh, faith-based organizations fit into day-to-day police work. And in some cases, it doesn't. I mean, in, in many ways, our day-to-day paper pushing and stuff don't always allow for a faith-based community component. But again, because like you said, with the four Ps, with the diversity of interest groups and individuals who are trying to help and assist in the human trafficking uh, situation dynamic, trying to eliminate that from you know the highest crime that it is, I think it's imperative that we understand that everyone brings something special to the table. That you know the faith-based community has valuable resources, has valuable expertise, has a, a valuable component to contribute that law enforcement can benefit from, and vice versa. You know, if you find a victim in the faith-based community, it, you know it's one thing to to find the victim and to help them, but I know bringing closure to them could also be finding the person who who you know exploited them who traffic them and, and holding them accountable in the justice system. So it, it's kind of a two-way street. Yes. And it's important, I think, for law enforcement to understand that no one's trying to take over their role as investigator, that no one's trying to take over their role as, you know, report writer or assistant with prosecution or the people who arrest. In fact, it's going gonna, it's gonna to supplement and make their job so much better and make their reports better to have someone who is properly supported from a victim perspective, to have someone have a group of people who are supporting you in your efforts so that you know that you don't have to watch your back when it comes to victim support. You know that you have 
have somewhere, if you find a victim in the middle of the night, you can call them, you can rely on them to, to be there and understand that what they're going to do is going to be a positive effect for the victim. And you're not just throwing them out to some agency that you've never heard of before or don't know what to expect. It takes a lot off of an officer's shoulders to know they can focus on what they're expert at and allow the faith-based community to focus on what they're expert at. And that's bringing people back from being exploited and being, you know, emotionally and psychologically traumatized through this crime. Well, and, excellent. Um, uh, and I, I, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, Reverend Zali, I just had to tell you because I know you have seven windows, basically, of uh, types of organizations under your leadership. And I wanted to tell you one brief story from a few years ago right here in Orange County when I got a call from the victim service representative when they had done a rescue law enforcement under Lieutenant Marsh's direction. And they needed a translator for a language that's not a real common one here. And they called me and said, didn't you talk about an ethnic church of such and such extraction and I said, just a minute, let me make a phone call. And within a matter of a couple of hours, we had a translator who was able to assist in working with the victim, and they were able to communicate and get the necessary information so that they could continue to support the victim and pursue the case. That's a wow. great example of expertise and partnership. And that is exactly right. I think that, you know, when we look at the, the big picture and if we can indeed, whether it's on the law enforcement side or on the faith-based side, and then there are other nonprofit organizations who are out there who have the passion and the dedication to be a difference maker in this arena as well. And I was so impressed when I visited and saw Lieutenant Marsh and yourself at the Orange County Task Force against human trafficking. That was the model that impressed me to the point, and i tell you why it impressed me so. Number one, you were able to bring together a networking of different agencies, ICE, uh, local uh, FBI, uh, local law enforcement, uh, social services, and you name it, every, every group that was essential in being what I would call key operatives were there. And the meeting was focused on sign solid communication. Every one of those operatives, and of course I, I want to include the church because what happened was I was able to meet with the churches that had also organized themselves into a group, and they met just prior to the main meeting to discuss the involvement of the local church and the faith-based organization, which I thought was great. It was open. Everybody was clear in their communication and understanding. And when the meeting was co-joined, it just displayed what a true partnership, fellowship, collaboration organization looks like. And so I was thoroughly impressed, and I know it can work. It's when everyone realized that what they are bringing is their area of expertise, their resources for the common good of humankind, and especially those poor young women and men who are being oppressed, who are being marginalized and oppressed by the, in, the violation of the laws by others. So, Lieutenant Marsh, sometimes it doesn't go the way that model that 
that uh, Reverend Zali just described to us. It doesn't go that way in our community. And um, when things go wrong with that, um, can you talk to us about the challenges that creates for law enforcement and might actually contribute to resistance of law enforcement to work with the community? Well, I, I, you know, uh, yes, I can. And I would like to, you know, emphasize, thank, you know, the Reverend for his support of the Orange County Task Force. I mean, can't say enough for, you know, for you acknowledging the work. And there's really a lot of people that have got in to, you know, the, the communication is what you mentioned. I think that's really key that that consistent communication, that consistent interaction where you're looking at people across the way, you've taken the time to appreciate what their role is, you've affirmed them in the importance of what they do, and they mm-hmm. become a part of the overall, I, I don't want to make it sound impersonal, but kind of like the machine, the, the, the mission, if you will, and that they have a valuable part to play, and it makes everybody want to work that much harder to get things done and exactly. to accomplish our goals. Um, on the flip side, Sandy, what you're asking, there are times when people's passion for this, especially human trafficking, it seems to me, um, takes the better of them. And sometimes they don't feel that things are happening quick enough or to whatever their perception of appropriateness is. And so they, and some people have been from faith-based communities, some not, but they have gone out and decided, well, we can go out and actively rescue people. We can go out and actively do investigations. Hmm. We can go out and contact our victims directly. We can go to a, a we've had people literally um, go on to backpage.com find people they believe might be at risk minors of sexual exploitation and trafficking and actually call to make an appointment and show up to their hotel room with their pimp just around the corner with their trafficker just around the corner. And I can't express enough the kind of danger that puts those people in, not just the people who are going to that room, but the victim as well. And also how with law enforcement, we have to redo all of that. We, we can't, I mean, we respect that people want to help, but it's almost to the point where it gets to interfere. And unfortunately, if enough of those people are out, we had a newspaper article here recently in Orange County that, you know, almost kind of valorized a, a couple of people for doing this very thing. And then law enforcement begins to distrust them because that's our world. That's what we do. We have backup. Mm-hmm. We have radios. We have training that's focused on that. If we see someone who's at risk, we're going to grab them right then and there. And even if those people do call law enforcement, most of the time it's not someone who works with HT all the time, human trafficking all the time. And so the response isn't what they were hoping it would be. It isn't affirmative. It isn't a multidisciplinary, diverse approach that's required. And so everyone walks away dissatisfied. The people going out and interacting with these people and these victims, the people and the law enforcement who works with them, and frankly, all the other partners at the table that the Reverend mentioned, are all, we've all missed an opportunity. We've all failed that day because one victim got away. And really, that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to stop it. And it's great to get a suspect. It's great to put someone in jail, hold them accountable. But to see someone slip through your fingers like that and lose that opportunity, that puts law enforcement in a real cynical mode when it comes yes. to making future partnerships. Well, what about, I? you know, somebody said to me um, that, well, we did all of this and we gave them all this evidence and then they didn't even prosecute. What do you, what did they mean by they gave you evidence? What can you do with evidence that wasn't collected in by under rule of law? 
Well, again, we got to redo it all ourselves. You know, when I go out and train on trafficking here in California, one of the key components of trafficking is, is corroboration. I've got to be able to say whatever I found out, I'm able to corroborate. And giving, you know, it's nice that they had a website, a backpage.com website. I can find that. It's nice they rented a room. I can confirm that. But I don't know the context in which they were contacted. I don't know the words that were said. They're not being recorded. And even if they were being recorded, what kind of pressure does that bring is that you know i don't control that environment so i have to recreate everything from scratch so those are you know while the efforts are laudable in the sense of i appreciate people wanting to affirmatively act and try to help help out and to save people uh, on this from a prosecution perspective it doesn't do one iota of good for us mm. other than acknowledging that there was a problem and we have to start from scratch and a lot of times because the person the trafficker or the pimp or whatever you want to call them, the exploiter has been warned we're coming. They're in the wind. And that just, mm-hmm. that ends that option for us from that moment on. What? Obviously from my, I guess, I guess from my world, I would ask people not to do that. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're, if you're asking to, to make a categorical, I know in Orange County, I can speak for us. We actually had a letter from one of our previous chiefs saying we won't, tolerate in the sense of condone that type of activity. And I think that's been the position of every partner that's stuck with the Orange County Task Force has been, you know, if you're looking for support, if you're looking for backup from both nonprofits, from federal agencies, local law enforcement agencies, you know, faith-based community, whatever, we've got to, we've got to agree that each of us have strengths for bringing to the table mm-hmm. and respect each of those partners, what they can bring to the table, what their expertise is, what their resources are, and allow them to fill those roles they best fill and not try to step on other people's toe or say, you know what, today I want to be a cop today or tomorrow I want to be a faith-based. Yes. It'd be silly for me to give, if we're silly for me to pretend I'm a pastor, like a silly for a pastor, except for you, Reverend, because you've been there, done that. But for <laughs> most of us, come and say, now I'm a police officer today, right? So uh, you so, got to be super careful what hat you wear. And because there's a lot of responsibilities that go with that, and it can really confuse an issue very quickly. And when you confuse that issue, you lose sight of your victim and you lose sight of the mission. And that's something that mm. any cop hates to do. I know you, Reverend, are very focused on mission and getting things accomplished. It works against the overall goal. It doesn't, it does. it doesn't do anybody any good. Well, you know, the Bible states that people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Mm. And unfortunately, what I've seen happen... Uh, in the human trafficking area, and it's been disturbing to me, and that generated my enthusiasm and my desire to go out and get myself educated and to talk with, and of course, Lieutenant, you recall my coming down and meeting with you all, to make sure that I understood so that any missionaries in our organization, the Assemblies of God, would be clear-minded as to what we're doing and why we're doing it, based on what you just stated, Lieutenant Marsh. We've got to understand that there are four components to this, and the best way that they can be actually in an effective way, um, uh, given the proper attention and hopefully bring about the results that we all want, is that we've got to realize the limitations of where we are and what we do. However, human trafficking is such an emotional, driven, ungodly event that it tends to steer people up to a what I call an adrenaline compassion. Mm-hmm. 
and by being driven by this adrenaline for compassion, they overstep their bounds. Uh, they are driven by the excitement of, of the hour of the grievous uh, uh, understanding of the uh, uh, results of behaviors that's taken place of other human beings, and they act too quickly, uh, and certainly usually inappropriately. And we find out that there's a lot of money being raised through this as well, and it's a unique situation that I think that when we work together and when we give out the correct information and we stand together with the different agencies, we're going to be able to make a difference in a way that is going to not undermine or demise any of those that are involved, for instance, like the task force. So I think sure. that we've got to somehow, we've got to communicate, we've got to educate the public. We've got to let them know and understand that we are working together in an effort to overcome this evil that's somehow embedded itself in our communities, in our cities, in our schools, and throughout our country that we love so dearly. And for some, some way, somehow, if we can communicate this in the context of what has been defined in the Human Trafficking Prevention Act that is clearly there, and sometimes there is even misleading statistical data that people create to cause, I guess, or to steer up more uh, excitement. But we've got to somehow con to communicate and to uh, let the, 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 the public realize that that this is something that can be dealt with. This is something that can we can see some resolve to if we just work together, if we unify our efforts, our resources, and our expertises, which means then that we're going to respect each other. Mm. I saw that in that task force. I felt it. And unfortunately, I haven't experienced that in others. Well, that's well. It's unfortunate to hear. I, I hope I can't say enough about the importance of having those monthly meetings for our task force, of having everyone sitting across the table from each other, and you know, and justifying where they're coming from, what's happening, and really to get to know each other as people. Because in the end, an organization is represented by the people they put forward. Exactly. So when you build that trust with those people, when you see that they're going to stand behind their word and they're going to follow through, and they're going to take care of their, you know, their corner, you know their slice of pie or whatever you want to call it, then I tell you what, it, it does wonders for, yes. the, for the trust that between those individuals, because it's, you know, at, at 0200 in the morning, I'm not talking to a general faith-based community. I'm talking to Reverend Zolli. You know, and if, if I trust Reverend Zolli to follow through, then that's one less thing I have to sweat. There's nothing a police officer hates more is wasting his time or spinning his wheels or whatever the phrase of the day is on a case and having somebody no matter how well-intentioned, uh, perform some kind of action that, that sabotages that case, mm. that sabotages their ability to do their job. And I'm sure you feel the same way from our end, that you don't want us pretending that we're something we're not. You know, we do our job and let you guys do yours and let you get provide the resources because that's where we all get our fulfillment from in the end, is making it happen because that's, it, it's about making sure that these victims are fulfilled and, and they're rescued, not just grabbed out of a place and, and set on their own devices or have a, a lot of miscues around the, around the table. They need to have consistency. And that's what, you know, 
That's what the task forces are about. That's what communicating is about. That's what role clarification is about, is everyone understanding their place and performing their duties when they need to be formed, whether it's at 12 o'clock noon or or dark 30 in the morning. Excellent. I I really appreciate that. Um, One of the things that being part of the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force that has been the most rewarding for me is to see when that works really well. And uh, what you said, Reverend Zali, about about education, one of the things that we've tried to do is educate our community in in appropriate ways of doing outreach and engagement in anti-trafficking. A few years ago, our Live to Free team went out and took posters and information to walk in medical clinics, and they educated the person who sees people come through that walk-in clinic where we expect to see possible trafficking victims who are looking for um, anonymous health care. And by doing that outreach, they didn't compromise any ongoing investigations. They just were part of our community, reaching our community. Within hours, that receptionist called the 888-3737 number, which is our National Human Trafficking Resource Center. And then they called our task force um, representatives who did the investigation. And two victims were rescued that day. That's a wonderful example of everybody playing their own position on a great team. Exactly. Exactly. And we all win together. Exactly. Hey, I just looked at the time, and I want to give you each one more um, opportunity, but I want you to speak to your peeps, your constituents. And um, Derek, it's been wonderful for me to grow up in this field of human trafficking under your mentorship. And I've tried to transfer my expectations um, to other law enforcement representatives. And sometimes it's like you said earlier, they didn't have um, human trafficking training and they may not respond the same way you do. Um, how can we do a better job of, of that? Can you just a statement for your peeps? Well, I would say if I'm speaking to other law enforcement officers, I would say, number one, trafficking is a unique beast. It's nothing that um, uh, it's not like the regular crime where you go, you handle your call, your arrest of people, and then you're back in the field again 20 minutes or two hours later and you've forgotten about it. This is a big time commitment that involves a lot of resources and you need people to help you out. And you need to work with groups who are familiar with trafficking and appreciate the fact that this is a victim-centered approach, looking at rescuing victims and bringing them back from the exploitation they've suffered in many times for years and since they were children. And so, number one, be patient and understand that someone's not going to do your job for you, but they can sure supplement your job and make it easier. And number two is... Um, you got to keep the faith a little bit, not just with the faith-based community, mm-hmm. but understand that it's a process and not an end in and of itself. And every case takes a long time, and you guys, guys put, you know, it's, it's a grindstone type of deal, but there are huge rewards at the end if you're willing to put, invest your time into it. Thanks, Derek. Um, Reverend Zali, what would you say to pastors and leaders? Well, I think we must all respond to the clarion call of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is, for the poor, the hungry, the oppressed, those who are imprisoned, infirmed, those who are victimized by the evils of this world, that we must be involved. We must put forth our best efforts to make a difference in their lives. However, I think that the church has to realize 
that we cannot do this alone, that we must work and collaborate and network our resources with law enforcement and especially agencies where those that are perishing and hurting and especially in human trafficking, that the criterias are great. The opportunities are fleeting. But when they do become present, we need to be prepared to be in our place so that we can make a contribution that another soul will be saved. And the contribution of reaching and being there, whether it's through the acts of prevention and partnership, we are making a difference. And so I would say to all the pastors, your people are ready to get involved. They need training, they need education, and they need knowledge of what they're doing before they get there. There are agencies, there are organizations that will do it for free if we would take the time to reach out and get involved. So I just want to encourage every pastor, mobilize your saints. Mobilize those precious souls that God has given you to be a difference maker in your city, in your community. And remember, we're stronger together than we are separate. And that includes working with law enforcement and our other agencies be on the state, federal, or local level, that none perish. Outstanding. Both of you are very articulate um, communicators, and it's clear that you respect each other and your roles. And so I um, am very grateful for your willingness to share your your stories and, and your thoughts with us today. Um, Dave, wow. You know, it's so hard to know where to even start. I've been so privileged just to listen to this conversation, Sandy, and thank you to both of you for joining us today. And I, I just couldn't help but um, notice one of the things that Reverend Zali had uh, mentioned is, you know, the, the importance of all of us in educating the public. And the great thing, uh, you know, we've talked, Sandy, before on podcasts about how technology has created many challenges in ending human trafficking, but it's also created many opportunities. And one of the opportunities is this show. Uh, This show is broadcast globally. Uh, Anyone has access to it who has access to a computer. And we have people all over the world who listen to this show. And so one of the things that I would uh, would share with everyone who's listening to this is to take uh, Reverend Zali's statement there very seriously of education. And if you know someone who is in the faith-based community and in, in leadership, if you know someone in law enforcement, I challenge you to share this episode with them and th- let this be a start to the conversation of us educating the public. And then uh, when you're looking for resources, you know, Sandy, that's a great place that's where the right. center can be helpful. So email us and let us know, because even if the center isn't a resource, we can certainly put you in touch uh, with folks like Reverend Zali and Lieutenant Marsh, who are resources in the community, who are experts in this field, and who know how to get you started. And so if that is something that is that resonates with you, there's two ways to get in touch with us. You can reach us by email at gcwj at vanguard.edu, or of course, you can always reach us by phone at 714-966-6360. Thank you so much. Thanks, Zali. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much, Sandy and Lieutenant Marsh. Thank you. I appreciate you, and I love you, man. <laughs> well, I'll right back at you, and I got to say, thanks for including me, but um, I tell you, it's always an inspiration from the faith-based community. That's it's always right. been a pleasure to work with him and interact with him. All right. Have a great day. 
Well, and I, I also want to let our audience know about one other resource. And you all, if you've listened to the show for some time, you may remember we've done an episode on that fourth P, partnership. And we've talked a lot about that today. That's episode number seven. And the best way you can get to it is to go to our website, gcwj.vanguard.edu. Go ahead and click on the button that says resources and podcast. And you will see all the episodes listed there. Episode seven is a great one to listen to if you haven't already on this partnership. And while you're on the website, gcwj.vanguard.edu, put your email address in the bottom left. You'll get our newsletter every month. Sandy, it's great talking with you again as always. Take care, everyone.